So our Bible reading today is the, uh, from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, reading up until verse 16. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honour. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. (coughs) Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happen to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned round and saw me, he called out to me, and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Please keep your Bibles open as we look at this passage. We've got our different different, uh, groups, but before before they go, let me just pray uh, and ask God to help us to understand the Bible tonight. Father, we do want to thank you that you are the God who speaks, because you are the God who is alive. And we pray, therefore, that we might be those who humbly listen. And we pray that you would please help us not to uh, stick with our thoughts where they might need changing, but help us through this evening as we study what you say in the Bible, to think the way you do, and to live differently as a result. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think uh, our young people are going to go off uh, around the corner to uh, a little uh, lesson that Hannah has prepared there. Uh, Great fun coming up, I am sure. Thank you, Hannah. It was a wonderful uh, bit about uh, Monopoly and uh, a great insight into the Williams household uh, in Liverpool, if you were wondering where the accent comes from. Um, And uh, I know Hannah's brother. I now see him in a new light.
But let me ask you as we come in this passage and think about it, uh, to start with a very simple question. Uh, do you think crime pays? Uh, well, we all say no, don't we? Yes, whether that was crime or not, I think is uh, another. The point was made for the tape that uh, David was uh, a mercenary who uh, made a mint uh, raiding other places. Uh, whether that was a crime or not, I'm not sure. But uh, in fact, um, I, I, I think I'm sure that it isn't. Uh, but I'll question me later and I'll explain. Uh, but the question is, we tend to think that actually it doesn't work. If you do wrong things, you won't get away with it. But I think actually it is a little bit more subtle than that. And a lot of us, I think, can do a bit of double thinking on this, that when I do wrong, uh, I rather hope that crime will pay and that I will get away with it. Equally, if other people do wrong against me, I rather hope that crime won't pay, uh, won't pay and they won't get away with it. But actually... The reason I do wrong is because, and, and let me tell you up front, I do do wrong, and the reason I do is because I think I will get away with it. And if you think about it, that's why you do wrong as well. Because if we really, really believe that crime doesn't pay, we wouldn't do it, would we? But Everyone, everywhere, does wrong because we think it pays. Yeah, we know some people get caught, but we know lots don't. And the risk is worth taking. It's true there are side effects that we suffer when we do things that are wrong, so that our conscience is hurt, our character gets flawed, our reputation can get wrecked, our relationships can get spoilt. Yeah, there are the side effects, but we still do it because it pays enough to make the pain worthwhile. And we think, therefore, generally, we'll do the wrong because it'll still pay. And therefore, today's passage is a good one for us to discuss together because in it, you discover someone who thought the crime would pay. It's really about two main characters. There's an Amalekite and there is David. And we'll think about both of those one after the other. First, the Amalekite, who's here to tell us the crime does not pay. Now, I know it says to Samuel right at the top of the page, you'd think that we're at the start of a story, but in reality, there's been a long story that's happened before the start of this one. And in the long story, there's a man called Saul, but at the end of 1 Samuel, which is just the page before, in chapter 31, Saul, who happened to be Israel's king, dies. And we know how he died in chapter 31. He killed himself. Now, it's very important that we know that when we listen in a minute to what the Amalekite says happened. The other thing to remember in the long story 
is that God has said that David is going to be the next king. He said that again and again to different people, and everyone knew that, which is why the Amalekite turns up with the crown to give to David. His turn next. So you'd think that the Amalekite is turning up saying, David, I've done you a big favour. And you'd think David would be glad to see him. For a start, he gets news at last of what happened in the battle. You know in those days the internet was down and therefore uh, David is in Ziklag. He doesn't know what's happened uh, in the battle that Saul was fighting. And at last, this scruffy stranger turns up in verse 2 to tell him. And as he arrives, he honours David. He falls to the ground. You can see that in uh, verse uh, uh, 2, to pay him honour. Now, that's pretty striking too, because he is treating David like a king, and he's the first person in the whole uh, story to do that, which is amazing, given that David hasn't yet been made king, but he's treating him like king anyhow. Verse 3, it gets better. He's escaped from the Israelite camp. David doesn't know at this stage he's an Amalekite. As far as David's concerned, he's on the same team, and he's from the same people. And in verse 4, his information is first-hand. He was there. Um, and um, uh, he says that uh, uh, he happened to be on Mount Gilbert at the time in verse 6. And in verse 10, he is retrieved uh, Saul's crown and he is bringing it to David, his turn to wear it next. So you might think with all of that that David would be very happy with him. The only trouble is that he's lying. He's saying he killed Saul, whereas we know from what really happened in 1 Samuel chapter 31 that Saul killed himself. Now, David wouldn't have known that. From all the appearance of the man, he's just come back from the battlefield. Uh, he uh, had the crown uh, to back up his story. It all hang, hung together. But it still seems that David smells a bit of a rat. Verse 13, he asks that question. So, where did you say you were from again? And in the reply, he says, I'm the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite. Now, when you read foreigner, you might think oh, he's just a complete outsider to what's going on. But when the Bible uses the word foreigner, it's got a special word of describing what we today would call a resident immigrant. Now, we know what resident immigrants are like in London. They are part of the country. They've been here for a while and they know what's uh, going on. That's why they are here, uh, usually fairly well informed. And so therefore, resident immigrant means that this man probably knew of Saul's long-standing opposition to David. And he therefore comes uh, with a particular agenda when he brings Saul's crown. In fact, if you look at chapter 4, verse 10, you see how David saw through to his heart and realized that here was a stranger who 
was hoping that David would welcome him as the bearer of good news. Chapter 4, verse 10, uh, David is talking to someone else who was trying to do the same thing, and he refers to the Amalekite in chapter 4, verse 10, when someone told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death at Ziklag. So, David knew that uh, this man uh, was not quite as straight as he claimed to be. But he was a resident immigrant. That meant that he was entitled to all the privileges of living under Israel's laws, but it also meant that he was subject to its penalties if he broke them. And so he should have known better than to strike down Israel's king because he was the Lord's anointed. To strike against him was to strike against God himself. Now the reason he gives for killing that king is rather like the defense of euthanasia today. I only put him out of his misery. That's essentially the euthanasia argument, isn't it? In uh, verse 9, where the person who wants to die says, stand here by me and kill me, I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. And then the person who does uh, the euthanasia thing says, so I stood beside him and killed him because I knew after he'd fallen he could not survive. So it very much sounds like a very modern-day argument, that. But he would have known that this crime carries the death penalty. And so he dies. Because in the end, with this king, crime doesn't pay. Even if it's only to tell a lie, crime doesn't pay. So that's the first point. Here's the Amalekite in the story to tell us crime doesn't pay. The second point tells us why it doesn't pay. It's because David is God's righteous king. Friends, let me tell you the big headline message of the Bible is that the world is under God's righteous king. And in the Old Testament part of the Bible, it is King David that fulfills that role. And for a short time, when David was king, it was a little glimpse in this world, at that time, of what the kingdom of God was like. If you like, this is the world premiere of God's kingdom. It is God's first marker that he intends to run the world under a king. And it's the marker that helps us to anticipate the arrival of the Lord Jesus as God's righteous king. And the big, enormous, humongous thing about God's kingdom is that it is righteous. That is such a big thing that uh, the Bible tells us it's even more important than eating and drinking that we take this in. So in Romans chapter 14 verse 17, uh, the Apostle Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. All part of the righteousness package. 
That's why Jesus said, don't worry about anything in life. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But then in verse 33, if there is one thing you want in this life, it is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See how the two are together? And all these things will be given to you as well. Like David, Jesus is the one who will judge the world in righteousness. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. That's in this translation, but in almost all the other translations, uh, they use the word righteousness by the man he has appointed, that's Jesus. He's, he's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. So there is a righteous king in this world. That is the headline. And the only way to make life pay is to get that truth into our bloodstreams. And the Amalekite shows what it's like to meet a righteous king. And it's at that moment that it becomes crystal clear that crime does not pay. Now what does that mean for us today as we want to think it through in its implications for us today? Well, maybe there are three different uh, areas we can take this uh, and uh, bring it home. First, if you are someone who is new to the Bible, new to Christianity, and you'd love to live a brand new life, there is just one key to make that happen. And that is to shape your mind and to shape your life around the truth that there is a righteous king running this world and you will one day stand in front of him. But this is the point at which I'm going to ask you to do something difficult. Difficult for our pride. And that is to admit that as things stand at the moment, you will stand in front of him just like this Amalekite did. And that's a hard thing for us to get our heads around because we are masters of self-deceit. We think we are on the side of the angels. We think we are more righteous than we actually are. That's why I like uh, uh, um, Rob's introduction so much. He said, uh, uh, look, um, you know, how is it you go to someone, you think you've done them a big favor, and they turn around and they're furious. Well, that's what happens here, because he got the person he was doing the favor for completely wrong. He thought he was being good, and actually that wasn't judged to be the case. And... That's what the Amalekite had to learn. He went to David and he thought he was doing him a big favor. He thought he was righteous and that David would pat him on the back for that. And instead, David uh, treats him with great distance. He's not like that at all. That's why 
when we understand that really we are like Amalekites, we think we're on God's team, and actually God sees that we're not. And the big question, therefore, is not do you think you're righteous, but will God think that you're righteous when he, when he sees you? And the amazing thing that Hannah referred to in her children's thought and said there's good news to come, and that's this, that the shocker of the whole Bible story is that Jesus, when he died on the cross, if you like, he took the punishment that Amalekites deserve. He took God's death penalty on himself to pay for the unrighteousness of the Amalekites, which is you and me. And because he does that, God that puts aside our unrighteousness and that is the only way you and I will ever stand in front of God as our righteous king able to stand in front of him and to survive the encounter. And it's therefore so important tonight, more than you ask God to give you food this week, more than you ask God to clothe you this week, more than you ask God to do anything else for you this week, to ask him to make you righteous. through his forgiveness, because you are an Amal Am Amalekite, and see that you don't deserve anything but God's judgment. But you ask him to make you righteous, and from that will come a brand new life, living righteously in front of God from now on. That becomes the important thing. So many people have said to me, Look, uh, yeah, I'll get round to that. Uh, but at this moment in time, life's a struggle. I've got to feed my family. I've got to pass my exams. I've got to do this, that, and the other. Uh, when I've got a bit of free space in my head, then I'll turn up and take God and his righteousness seriously. No, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's much more than food and drink. The righteousness of God is the big uh, uh, truth that will uh, change our lives. If you're not new but you've been to church lots, here's a second group. Let me suggest that it's easy for us, if we've knocked around church circles, to transfer our thinking so we end up thinking that God likes church more than we think God likes righteousness. And the end result of that is that in church, as Hannah said in her earlier start, we can look the part really well, but at home we go out and we live unrighteous lives. And at work we can live unrighteous lives. In the way we handle our relationships, in the way we invariably handle our, our sexual um, uh, temptations in the way that we handle our money. Uh, we uh, can uh, uh, show that actually it's not the kingdom of God and his righteousness that matters most to us. And what uh, uh, we find is that we can uh, come... Sorry, I meant to do that to show you that uh, Jesus paid the price for the Malachite. Uh, 
but when it comes to uh, church people, we can say we understand the truth about God's king, but the reality is that actually we're still Amalekites at heart. And what this story teaches us is that God can see through the pretense. God can see through the claim of people who think that they're on his side. And he can treat Amalekites under his judgment. Even if they come with a church badge on them. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, he says, on that day there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, that or the other in your name? And I will turn around and say to them, I never knew you. He distances himself from them, which is essentially to give them the Amalekite treatment under his judgment. Now we need as church people to be very careful that our pretense doesn't get the better of us because it will never get the better of God. But what happens if you're someone who really does take the sinners um, real to you and you desperately want to really live your life believing that there is a righteous king ruling this world. What's there for you in tonight? Perhaps it's helpful for us to understand that how much we believe that God is a righteous king is shown in the way that I teach myself, in the way that I learn to hate any temptation to find satisfaction, to find joy, to find fulfillment in wrongdoing of any kind. Thinking that actually it'll pay. Uh, it's good to remember that the fleeting pleasures of sin, the Bible calls it that in Romans 11, it's good for us to remember that the fleeting pleasures of sin are just that, fleeting. And the Bible urges us to put to death the things of our sinful nature before they put us to death, which is what the sinful nature of the Amalekite ultimately led to. Friends, we need to live this week with one single thought in our heads. And that is that there is a righteous king who we will meet. And the only thing that pays is living for him. And it's good for us to uh, live with that truth navigating us in the week ahead. Let's pray that God will help us. And then we'll take some questions if there are some things there that you might to, uh, like to chat uh, more about. I'm going to read um, another verse in the Bible and then I'm going to pray. Uh, but first, I'm going to keep a moment of quiet so you can pray in your own uh, seat, uh, just uh, thinking through what God might be saying to you from this passage. Let's take a moment of quiet and talk to him. Uh, individually, privately, quietly, uh, let's seek him uh, humbly together in the light of what he said.
The Apostle Paul said, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things we have done while in the body. Our Father Almighty, we bow before you today as uh, those who uh, are aware there is a righteous king, <clears throat> invisible but real, in our world. Uh, we do that amazed that you made this righteous king, the Lord Jesus, that you made him like an Amalekite, so that we might become like the righteous king ourselves. Please help us to take your righteousness more seriously than anything else in life. Because crime never pays. And righteousness always does. And we pray that in the name of our righteous King, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.